This is the Unity Community of Central Oregon podcast. That song was so beautiful, so beautifully rendered, Eric. Thank you. When, whenever I hear that song, I love it so much. And yet I feel like it, it requires a unity translation. Because Leonard Cohen is coming out of the Catholic tradition and he's got a God that is out there and, you know, maybe, maybe not, it's going to be God's will. But we don't believe that. That's not the unity teaching. The unity teaching is that God is not out there. God is in here. God is out there too. God is all around. There's no place that you can't find that divine light of creation. And the idea of will is so, it's so complicated because we have it wired in with parental units, you know, that, that are saying, you will not do this. I will not let you do this as we're growing up. We, we have our whole collective consciousness memory of the will of the king or the queen that is allowing certain things in the kingdom and us poor peons, you know, have to go along with it. But that is not the truth of who we are. What kind of a God would create a voice like Eric has and then says, eh, but I don't will you to sing now. <laughs> that, that just doesn't even make common sense. What is divine will except a willingness for the light to shine? That's what divine will is. So today we're going to talk about the B attitudes. For those of you who have grown up in some kind of a Christian tradition, you've heard of those before. If you haven't, well, you're in for something new. Um, the B attitudes are part of what's called the Sermon on the Mount. So this is really a template for living in the light. And some people think that the Sermon on the Mount is the only sermon that Jesus ever prepared. Gosh, imagine that. Like you only have to do one, <laughs> and it better be good. <laughs> I personally don't think that that's true. Now, I realize that in ancient times, the attention span was a lot longer. You know, now we've got McDonald's mentality everywhere, and you know, hurry up, hurry up, get it said, because I'm only going to pay attention for a few minutes, and then I'm going to be on to the next squirrel that darts by. But in the ancient times, if you went to college and you read the Iliad and the Odyssey, those were oral stories. Now, the book is like three inches thick, and, and it took a long time to read it, but that was an oral tradition, and people sat around 
the campfire or wherever they were, and they listened to this long story, this epic story. And maybe, you know, maybe it took a few nights, I don't know, I wasn't there, but it was, it, it was just different. And so it is possible that the three chapters in Matthew were all delivered in one sermon and people sat around and listened. That, you know, they may have had the attention span for that, but I just, it doesn't feel right to me. I think instead, it is just a device that was used by the author of the book of Matthew. So first you have to understand the book of Matthew, like all of the Gospels, has a thematic intent. Remember, nobody was traveling around with Jesus with a steno pad taking notes. There was no Instagram, there was no Facebook, there was nothing like that. And Matthew was writing 70 years after the birth of Jesus. So, you know, I, I know I don't always remember what happened last week. Kevin did a talk one time about, you know, remember that talk about you're right, and he and Claire's arguments about what had been said or who had been here or where, and they couldn't agree on all that, and we've all had that experience. That's why that talk was so relevant, <laughs> because, you know, we're, we're so sure this is what happened, this is what was said, and in fact, the other person thinks something completely different we don't remember. So what's the likelihood that every pearl that came out of the mouth of Jesus actually got recorded accurately? Slim, slim chance. Instead, there's like an idea of the gist of it. And there's the things that got repeated and changed a little bit in the telling. It's, it's the living tradition is what's recorded, and also the point that they wanted to make. So in the case of Matthew, at the time that he is writing, Matthew, or what, whoever he was, calling himself Matthew, is a Jewish man. This is still the Jewish tradition. And Jesus, a Jew, who these people are seeing as the Messiah, he has he is the fulfillment of the Jewish tradition. However, prior to Matthew's writing, the temple has been demolished by the Romans. And so the Jewish people are in a bit of, like, who are we without our temple? Because it was such a core thing for them. And so there is now a schism. And there are those who are followers of the way and that is the way that Jesus taught, the way to understand the light that you are and to let that radiate. And there are those who are the traditional Jews, and they are not the same. And so when you read, when you read in the Gospel of Matthew, there's a lot of nasty things that he says about the Jews that have had far-reaching consequences in our times, like think the Nazis, for example because of the things like the whole death of Jesus is blamed completely on the Jews in 
but when he talks about the Jews, he means that group over there, the others, who think the way they used to think, but we're the real true Jews. Okay, so this is the, this is the conflict that is going on. It's not particularly elevated, but that's what was happening. And so in the Gospel of Matthew, he sets it up to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Jewish tradition. So he has five sections, just like in the Jewish Torah, there are five books, Genesis and all the others, Exodus, so forth. And so this is the first book, so to speak, of Matthew is the Sermon on the Mount. He has the Sermon on the Mount because like Moses, Jesus is delivering a message of how to be in the world, okay? So it's important to recognize that. And then he has all of these things that he's talking about, just like Moses delivered 10 commandments. Here are these beatitudes that he is delivering. And then there's a whole bunch more, you know, like a lot of the things that you've probably heard of, like don't hide your light under the bushel basket, behold the lilies of the field, all this stuff that's all packed into three chapters of Matthew, which is called the Sermon on the Mount. So I'm not gonna get into all of that today, I'm just gonna talk about the Beatitudes and look at how we might look at those to actually be something that enlivens us and is a template for living. So the first one, Okay, the other thing that you need to understand is the Aramaic language, which is what Jesus spoke in, is a language that, well, even in English, we have more than one meaning for single words, but in Aramaic, it's one of those languages that has a lot of different meanings. And the one that was chosen in the translations that we have grown up with is not always really accurate for what the sense of what was being conveyed was. So for example, the first one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That has been a reason to justify being poor. Well, it's okay if you're poor. It's okay if we take all your money and you're poor, because blessed are the poor in spirit. First of all, blessed means to enrich and enliven. These are things that will enrich you and enliven you if you follow them. Being poor in material wealth is not one of them. Poor in spirit, actually, spirit is the wrong word there. It should be poor in pride. Blessed are the poor in pride, the ones that are receptive and open. And you're going to hear this openness in many of the Beatitudes, if you are open to this light within you, this truth that is within you, if you are not too proud, if you are teachable, then your life will be enriched and enlivened. Can you feel the difference in that? If you are teachable versus if you are poor? You know, it's a huge difference. The next one is, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, when we are in a time of mourning personally, 
it feels nice to think that, yeah, there's going to be comfort for us. You know, we all want someone to come and give us a big hug and make us feel better. And if it's a big God in the sky, that's great because we feel like we need that right now. And somebody, somebody from outside of us, please take care of us because our life is a mess right now and we feel very helpless. And that's a human feeling, but it's not our truth of who we are. And it's not what this particular beatitude means. So in Aramaic, the, war, the word that has been translated as mourn means to yearn for something transformational. That's very different, isn't it? You will be blessed if you are yearning for something transformational. You're learning for teachings. You're yearning for practices. You're yearning for getting out of your own way and getting into a space where you really recognize the light that you are. You will be blessed if you yearn for that. Focus on that. Keep looking for that in your life. The next one, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now ask yourself, is that your experience? <laughs> you know, all those meek people, with the exception of Clark Kent, do you know anyone else who you would describe as really meek, who has just, he's, or she, has taken it all? No, it doesn't work that way. And it also is not what meek means. So meek is a mistranslation. It means non-resistance, unrestrained receptivity to the divine. When you let yourself tune in to the light that you are, when you let that flow through you, there is no limit to what you can do. You can even look at as inherit the earth as what is the earth metaphysically. It's, it's the thoughts that create and manifest. It isn't, you know, the planet here, we don't get to dominate and take it all over. That isn't what that means. It's the earth of our reality. But the key is opening up and being receptive. This light is flowing through us all the time. It's the electric current of our being. And so to be meek, to be meek is to open up to that, to turn on the switch and let it flow. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Righteousness is right thinking. It doesn't mean, you know, being a righteous pain in the butt. It means being in alignment. So hungering to be in alignment with the divine, with the truth of who we are. When we hunger and thirst for that, there's, there's a story um, 
of, well, I don't know, I'm not going to tell a story, never mind. Um, <laughs> blessed, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Well, this is one we probably wouldn't argue with, except that it makes it sound like it's all about us doing to them, right? And really, merciful, what, what's really talking about in here, it's unconditional love. That's what that word means in, if it weren't translated that way. And it's unconditional love for ourselves first. And when we have unconditional love for ourselves, then we look outside and we see the world through eyes of unconditional love. We erase the pattern of enmity within us. Because when we are in love, love is all we see. Think about when you've fallen in love before. When you fall in love, you're, you're just riding high. You're on top of the world. All you can see is the goodness. Certainly the goodness in the other person, possibly even the goodness in yourself, but the goodness in life. It's a wonderful world, right? Because you are in that place of unconditional love. And so the message in this one is, when you are in that space, there's no room for enmity. Enmity is a condition of thinking that sees something wrong out there or in here. And, and what he's saying is that by getting rid of that kind of thinking and staying fixed in love, then you are a blessing out into the world and to yourself. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Pure in heart means spiritual perspective. So when you take a spiritual perspective, then you see the divine everywhere, because that's all there is. When you have a human perspective, you see lots of other stuff, right? But from the higher spiritual perspective, you find peace and happiness because it's all good, literally. That's all there is. And yes, there, there are things in life that where people have been disconnected from the truth of who they are. And in that space of disconnection, they make choices and they do things that nobody's going to call good. But that is not their truth. And so our challenge is to, while we may judge the behaviors, we don't judge the people. That's the difference. And we just see them as goodness. Goodness that has forgotten itself. And we can be peaceful with that. Because if they are pure goodness, they always have the opportunity to remember. And they have a greater opportunity if we hold them in that light. If we see them as that, instead of focusing on what miserable people they are which, you know, we all have a tendency to do that. 
I assume, like me, you do. <laughs> so, but that's not how we find, that's not how we find the light. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Peacemakers is an idiom, and it means that through service, you work tirely, tirelessly to find inner peace. Through service to others. You, you begin to see through the eyes of peace. It's something that you create on the inside. It isn't something that you find outside. Like that old song, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me because it's the only place it can begin. It's the only place it really exists. And when we walk in peace, we find peace wherever we go and we radiate. Our eyes become portals and peace flows out through us into our world. Think, think that thought for a moment. Imagine looking out. I guess I'm back on that Superman kick again, but you know how you see in the superheroes and something shines out through their eyes and it may be something good or it may be something evil depending on who the character is. But imagine something shining out through your eyes and it's peace. It's unconditional love. Let yourself imagine each one of us has that power. That power for good. Blessed are they that have been persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall reproach you and persecute you and speak evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets that were before you. Well, this is great if you have a culture of martyrs and you want to justify that they ought to be persecuted. But it, it's not really the correct idea at all. So persecute, the Aramaic word that's been translated as persecute, actually means refrain from temptation. And this one is, is all about our thoughts. So have you ever noticed that you make a resolution to do something? You are going to be a better person in a particular way, right? And how long does it take you before you start having thoughts that lead you in a different direction? Okay, like as simple as, I'm going to eat really healthy and that ice cream bar in the freezer starts calling your name with desperation. You know, it's, that's, that's temptation. And we do that on all kinds of levels. We say, okay, I'm gonna be the light that I am. I'm gonna shine my light out into the world. And we get in the car and turn on the radio and there's some news report and, and are we sitting there in the light? Oh no, now we're mad about something. It's so easy to lose that focus. And so what we want to do, what we want to do is stay focused on what is our truth. 
and not allow ourselves to be persecuted by those lower thoughts, to continue to stay steady. And that's where we find our blessing. So, if I were going to summarize all of these Beatitudes, I would say, open up to the truth of who we are. Open up to the light and the love that is constantly flowing through us like a current. And let that pour out onto the world. Guard our thinking so that we are always in alignment with that. That's the message. That's the master teaching of this master Jesus. Let yourself imagine taking that teaching and moving out into your world with it. just invite you to close your eyes for a minute. And as you close those outer eyes, just make a claim for yourself. Let my eyes be portals of light. Let my heart be a portal of love. Let me see with the eyes of my heart the world around me and let me pour forth a blessing through the windows of my soul. Let me always be in alignment with my truth. May we walk together in this light. May we always remember who we are. May our eyes be eyes of blessing. Namaste.